Hello, everybody. What up, what up, what up? My name is Tim Daniel. His name is Ben Brown. Welcome to this week's edition of Late Night Reds, live on the Riverfront. And joining us this week, the newest member of the Riverfront fam. You caught him this past Friday on the Riverfront Red Show with Chad and Nate. And he said, I'm going to go on the cooler show on Sunday night. <laughs> well, I had to get the coat on, too. Yes, yeah. sir, baby. It's immaculate. Yes, sir. <laughs> you're watching live. Uh, you can check him out. Our new, one of our newest members of our teams. He'll be doing the Red Leg. Re- uh, what, I already forgot the word. Just name your Seth, I'm terribly sorry. Red Leg uh, Roundtable. Red Leg Roundtable. Seth Shaner. What's up, pal? Thank you for hanging out with us tonight. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. You sick of like going on the Riverfront Red shows yet? No, I <laughs> My wife just looked at me and said, I'll see you later. Uh, that's see cool. you. <laughs> Every Sunday, my wife says the same thing. Yep, 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 yep no doubt. <laughs> well, we're happy to have you, man. Um, so I will also do the same thing that Nate and Chad did this week. If you haven't checked out Seth's show this past week with Eddie Toppensey, please take the time to do so. It's worth it. I think the best thing about it, Seth, is when you listen to the interview is um, you can tell that Eddie is really excited to like kind of just reminisce and talk about that time and talk about coming up with the Reds and all the things he like all the things he went through to get there. It's awesome, man. I really, really enjoyed it. I appreciate that. That it was, it was a really good interview. He was he was so into it, and you know, I I recorded the whole way straight through, and I'll never forget. Like we had just finished talking about that '99 season, kind of they won game playoff, all that, and I was kind of like. I wanted, I still wanted to talk to him about his teammates. I hadn't gotten to do that a whole lot. We talked a few guys and I kind of gave him the little cue. I was like, do you, do you want to keep going? You know? And he, he said, no, no, we let's go. Let's go. And uh, that just, that lit a fire under me because I was so excited that he wanted to do it so badly. I told him 45 minutes. We were already almost at an hour at that point. We hit an hour. Uh, and yeah, we, I mean, we could have talked even longer, but, it, but it, boy, it just, it turned out really well, especially for the first effort. And, I always say, like, especially on podcasts, things like that, I actually launched one back in 09 or 10 before, I don't know, most people didn't even know what a podcast was. I always say, like, if you start at a certain level, there's only, you can only keep getting better. And I think that's what we're going to do. Hopefully, we'll just keep on getting better. My, my questions will be better, hopefully. And uh, and, and certainly, nobody's going to be maybe as excited as Eddie was to talk to me. But uh, it, hopefully, it'll be great. It'll be great. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so. I also am stuck with uh, the fact that tonight I am uh, here on the podcast with uh, two Buckeyes. Um, <laughs> not that I'm an Ohio State hater by any means. Not that I'm a Michigan fan by any means. But uh, our two resident Ohio State fans just have to be on the show tonight. Actually, set this Ohio State alum. Yes. So, you know. There it is. Take it. That's Ohio Stadium right here behind me here. You see the flag in the back. Okay, I'm there you go. Correctly. Great win today for the women's basketball team. That was awesome. That was something else. Um, and we got the injured Peyton Clark and all that, too. <laughs> I just saw the video. She charged at that girl. Caitlin <laughs> yeah. Clark. Yeah, I mean, on. that's what I thought. I mean, that girl was clearly taking a video. She's not paying attention. And Caitlin yeah. Clark ran right into she, her. Like, she was coming this way, and Caitlin Clark just came right into her. Yep. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> that was a charge on Caitlin Clark all day, dude. Like that, oh, that means flop. going that way. Yeah, she <laughs> yeah, she did flop for <laughs> she did. She I mean she hit the <laughs> she hit that Joel Embiid. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, come on, this random girl from Ohio State could not have done that to you, knocked you down and made you fall over. Person. Not at all. Like, give me a break. Yeah, it was it was a great game for them. I'm gonna try to go to the Indiana game, I think. Yeah. I got to see Caitlin Clark play, man. She's unbelievable. Well, they yeah, set yeah. a big record for attendance. I saw that. Yeah, she's, oh, yeah. she's must see TV, man. I mean, she's yeah. she's definitely must see TV. Yeah. So, guys, we're getting the show. I got to tell you, they don't pay me to say this, but um, I think I, I, you know, I've been talking. I quit drinking. I cut back. Not that I was like a, you know, pound right. of beers by any means, but I was like, I cut back on the boot on the drinks because I just wanted to kind of, you know, I got a kid now. I want to have a healthier lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um. I found this company called Athletic Brewing Company. They make these non-alcoholic beers. Really? I'm blown away how good they are. Huh. Shout out Athletic Brewing Company. Yeah, they Let's get sponsors if they want. They don't right now, but these things are really good, man. Uh, this is the Free Wave Hazy IPA. Tastes just like an okay. IPA without the bitter taste at the ends. I'm nice. blown away by it. Well, let's clip this and send it to them and say, hey, yeah. Yeah. We, we love you here at, the, here at Late Night Reds. Yeah, I've got absolutely. Yeah. 
I had a warped wing cherry vanilla cola for dinner. So there you go. My brother-in-law lives down in Mason. He brought some up at Christmas time. So cherry vanilla cola with real sugar. So man. Oh wow. So you mentioned that. Um, my all-time favorite soda, and I think it was on shelves for like the shortest time, was cherry vanilla Dr Pepper. Um, It was so good. Like that was like when I was in middle school. So anytime I go to a restaurant has one of those Coke free machines, like five guys or something like that. The first thing yeah. I do is click on the Coke. Then I'm like, do they have it? Do they have it? Do they have it? And then like, God bless that cherry vanilla section of that free machine. They probably run out of it while I'm at the restaurant. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you guys are here to hear, see your detectives talk about the reds and we will get to that obviously. But first I have to do this because it's the first show since it broke. Everyone. Thank you so, so much. Helping us out, getting to 1,000 YouTube subscribers. Um, that is awesome. We work so hard for that. Not just, you know, between us here at Late Night Reds, um, Chad and Nate, Joe and Greg at the Bengals show, uh, all this over at Riverfront U. We have been just putting a ton and ton of content together. Uh, we're so, so, so grateful. Thank you guys for everything. And we got some fun stuff planned this season with the Reds. Ronnie Snyder's popping in to say what's up. He's like, I can't believe this is coming. We got an unbelievable run coming. Ronnie, you're not wrong, my guy. Uh, we're going to talk about a lot of that stuff. Um, but just want to make sure we give a thank you to everyone, whether you're a Patreon subscriber or not. And if you're not, you should be. Uh, Seth can attest to this. He was one before he became a member of the team. Uh, we have a lot of fun there. So it's uh, awesome. Um, hate to start the show on a little bit of a bummer. Um, oh, yeah. but we officially this week got news that sports illustrated is no longer going to be publishing, uh, and sending stuff out. And it, Ben, I just realized what shirt you're wearing. You like that? Yeah. That's <laughs> I told awesome. you I had one. That's awesome. <laughs> so perfect. Shout out to Cobra. That was, Hey, listen, that was for the a thousand, a thousand subscribers, bro. I had mm-hmm. to break this out. We're bopping. All right. Yeah. Just me and the boys bopping, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But Sports Illustrated uh, is officially not going to be publishing and sending magazines out. And like, super bummed, man. Um, It's brutal. And look, I get it. Technology, the way things have changed, but we're all in that age group when like that was, if you had a subscription, you got it every week, it was at your door. And that was how you learned about people. Like, that was how we learned about LeBron James. That was how we learned about Tiger Woods. Like that yep. was how that was where you saw people who kind of got raised and like brought to the national national attention um, with that and you know sports center and things like that. But I will never ever forget when I was a kid. I was probably 10, 11. My dad got me a subscription, and mm-hmm. LeBron's on the cover, the chosen one cover. Mm-hmm. I'm like, who is this kid from Cle- from Akron? Like, why is he on the cover? And I'm reading all about him. I'm like, oh, okay. I guess he's pretty decent. And then I like watch Sports Center and they like got high school basketball highlights. I'm like, oh, I guess this guy's really cool. Next thing I know, I'm ordering pay per views to watch St. Vincent St. Mary games. That was the power Sports Illustrated had. Yeah. Um, I remember yeah. so well. I had Sports Illustrated for kids when I was really young. The trading cards inside it where you could like break them out. Yeah, There's the Dion De- double cover with the Cowboys and the Reds mm-hmm. uh, was one of my favorites. And he was all the trading cards inside the thing and that, that one. Um, the Michael Jordan exclusives that they put together. Yeah. It was the best, man. And uh, before we get to kind of talking about some of the red Sports Illustrated covers, just curious because that's that's what went, made me want to be a journalist. Seth, you got a journalism degree. I'm sure Sports yeah. Illustrated played a huge part in you wanting to do this. Oh yeah, and and I'm when I was I grew up in a rural area of Ohio, and we didn't have cable, and uh, until I was I was older, and and I I would get the Sports Illustrated, but in a rural area of Ohio, sometimes. The mail doesn't get there just right because you wanted that on Thursday. And mm-hmm. yep. <laughs> talk, about great, talk about how great it was to have Sports Illustrated. But picture getting home, opening the mailbox, and it's not there. Oh. And you got to wait at least another day. <laughs> it just That was awful. Um, you were mentioning how young you are. Um, I have – and I know we're going to talk oh, about Oh, that's rest. awesome. Bro, yes. My favorite cover. Oh, that was the first year I'd ever gotten Sports Illustrated. Okay, me too. Me too. And that was the first year we got it. And that freaking thing came out, and I loved it. I yep. was so Red October, of course, yes. off of the uh, Tom Clancy book and the movie Hunt for Red October. Um, but no, so, yeah, and I was going through looking for these. I have a filing cabinet. 
basically every Michael Jordan cover from his rookie year with the Bulls until he retired. Yeah, it was and like 12 years he was on the cover. Entire drawer is all Michael Jordan. That's and insane. so I've got all those still. I've got some of these Reds ones we'll talk about. Um, and sadly, the Reds, certainly they weren't on there as much except for, you know, back in the mid-70s, they were on all the time almost with Pete and yeah. things like that. But um, being a Buckeye fan, I've got, <laughs> I've got the preview issues and all the, you know, yep. I was looking at yep. there's George Smith, there's, you know, 2002. Yep. There's, I mean, so. Yeah. But to your point, though, things change. And at some point, I just quit getting it. And um, mm-hmm. so I don't know, maybe I'm the problem, but, um, so but I'm it thinking. was, it was between and eventually sports center, things like that, it, that, and it, I got the sporting news when I was a kid yeah. and we didn't know I, how McCoy actually would write his, you know, the yeah. Reds part. Right. Absolutely. And um, I would remember again, no cable. The Reds were sometimes on um, Fox 28 in Columbus and we could get that channel from where I lived. Um, so I get to see him sometimes, but, Literally, you would get the sporting news and you would open it up and you would have the whole week's worth of box scores. Yeah, and that's oh, how yeah. I learned sometimes if they won four days ago. That's, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not that old, but I'm pretty old apparently. Yeah. So um, that's how I got the information, and, and certainly with Sports Illustrated, that those were the longer articles and things like that. Yeah, dude, and and well, just speaking of that, like it's it's so crazy to think how times in your life link up to Sports Illustrated, like. <laughs> Like I can remember the '90s Reds. I can remember that magazine. I can remember, you know, articles about Jordan. I can remember about uh, the Dream Team cover. I remember. I, I just remember oh, so yeah. many cool things about when that Sports Illustrated hit your mailbox, and you. It was Sports Illustrated and East Bay. Those were two magazines <laughs> right. I was looking, I was looking oh, for yeah. every all the time, dude. And, and and like there were so many cool things about what Sports Illustrated did in the articles and. You know, it was really cool. You know, I have a little bit of more connection because like, you know, when Sean was on the cover and when he was in Faces in the Crowd and when they came to his house and we were all there and they were interviewing him and like, like, so Sports Illustrated, like had such a, such a cool impact on everything that we were able to do. And on top of that, like having that connection of no, hey, like, that's my cousin on the cover of it. Like that's, you know what I mean? Like, like it was really cool because you would look and see all the things that he was able to do on there. And then on top of that, it's linked to every significant sports historical thing that's gone on in the last 60, 70 years. I mean, between Muhammad Ali, uh, you know, between Mike Tyson, between, I mean, all these historical things that have happened, sports illustrated is linked to it. And, it sucks the way it went out, um, you know, reading the articles about how it went out and how they just ran it to the ground. It was just bad business. But I can you cannot talk about sports history without having Sports Illustrated because of how the impact that it had on everybody getting not only just sports, because you could just watch things on TV for sports. You got really good articles oh, yeah. and like in-depth information and all kinds of different things. And you could just dig into stories. So, it, you know, when they said it was going out of business, dude, even though, I mean, like, like you said, Seth, like I haven't, I haven't gotten a sports illustrated. I mean, I, I haven't gotten a subscription. I mean, since I went to college, so I mean, we stopped getting it, but even still, like there's so many historical things that were linked to it and covers and, I mean, even the like the Olympics and, and Mary Lou Retton and I mean, so many just awesome iconic covers that you think about, like mm-hmm. you know, to think that those are not going to be around is kind of it, it really sucks. Well, one more the historical side, Magic Johnson's HIV. Yes, yep. That yep. I mean, we knew the news by then and all that when it came out when when we got the magazine. But that story, I don't even remember who would have written it, but you you just learn so many more details out of those. Yep. Because even a, a newspaper article, having been in, in journalism a little bit, like a newspaper article might be 450 words-ish, you know, around in there. Mm-hmm. But we're talking 20, 2,000, 2,500 words or more for yeah. these articles. Yeah. And it can get so much more in-depth. And, uh, in fact, like I'm a, I'm a bit of a Tony Kornheiser fan. And oh, yeah. he did some freelance work for Sports Illustrated. And I think it was for Sports Illustrated that he wrote a, a Nolan Ryan piece. And my favorite part of it, and I tried to write a few things like that myself and probably failed, but. But my favorite part about like that type of journalism is they would go immerse themselves. The writers would with the, mm-hmm. the person 
So he went down to Texas and he's at Nolan Ryan's ranch back in like 1983 visiting with Nolan Ryan. And it's like those kind of stories were the ones that were always the ones that sucked me in. Because can you imagine being the writer, but you're almost like a fly on the wall in the limo or or wherever you are. You're not you're not part of the story, but you're in the like the writer's in the story and he takes you with them. Yep, absolutely. It's funny you guys say that. I just looked over the last Sports Illustrated cover I got. Oh, oh yeah. So it's oh, the last yeah. one I'll ever have, apparently. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> well, Pat Forty still writes for them, and he said he released something on his Twitter about while wow, it looks really bad, and it's you know on a there was something about like it's not quite as bleak as they're saying, but yet on the other hand, yes, it is. So right. I'm not sure what right. we'll end up seeing, but it's I've enjoyed seeing all the Reds covers and all the different tributes on on Twitter and different social media. So, yeah, yeah absolutely. So, Seth, I probably should have filled you in. Um, and I don't do this to brag, but uh, Sean Alexander is Ben's cousin. That's what he meant by okay. all that. So, you said, oh, I'm sorry. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I was like, yeah. Great I don't, back. I don't do it to brag by any stretch, but yeah. I wish we could have pulled him up north instead of letting him go down to yeah, you're Alabama. in line. <laughs> 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 we'll tell you those stories one of these days. Yeah. Um, but I did want to show off some of these. We got some from our, from the patrons that uh, they, they talked about some of their favorites, but wanted to share some of my favorites. Um, Eric Davis on the cover of the smash hit. I know Joe Farfsing said that's was, that was his favorite. Um, Joey being on the cover in 2010. That article is really fun too. Cause it talks about the Reds were in LA playing the Dodgers. It was during the 2010 NBA finals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Seth's got it right there. I have it. <laughs> I have it somewhere in here. And he actually asked Dusty if he could stay back and watch the Lakers-Celtics yeah. yes. game. And yeah. It was game seven. Um, Griffey, that's one of his couple covers he had with the Reds. I would have came back and it was right, right around when he hit his 500th home run. That was one of my favorites. Look how happy he is. That's just yep. – that's, that's that smile, dude. Yep. Um, we've got the one Seth showed earlier, Red October with Chris with Chris Sabo. Um, I like this Johnny – this is my – Johnny Bench is on the cover a lot. Mm-hmm. This one here, the How Go to the Reds, one is my favorite. Um, series hero Johnny Bench homers in Game Four, and then because uh, that's the '76 series when he went nuts. He did go, yeah, he went insane in that series. And then How the Reds Got Junior, which is also a fantastic one. Um, my personal favorite, and I think Hooper said that uh, this was his favorite as well. The Deion Sanders Man oh, of yeah. Steel. Oh yeah, one of my favorites. Um, Roy McMillan was on the cover. And then uh, we have this one here with uh, Johnny Bench and oh, after they won against Boston. So I picked these cautiously, uh, strictly for the sake of, uh, as we know, I don't ever give Pete Rose's flowers. And oh. I won't. Um, for <laughs> Not for the baseball player he was, but for other things. Um, yeah. He certainly deserves what he did in the field. Um, and I did not share the March shot one for uh, – other obvious, obvious reasons, reason. yes. But well, Nate, Nate bought all those. He's got those on his coffee table. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got Joey Gadeets in the house tonight. The young guys this season, the city connects are pretty cool. Did you guys see the bobbleheads promos for this year? They look good. I did. Yeah, it does. The Jake Freely one with the helmet on that looks great. Yeah, I was surprised. Is it the um? Is it the Ellie one? One of them is on. A weeknight, like on Wednesday night against yeah. Cleveland, and I was surprised mm-hmm. they would do it on that night. I guess I know they they think they'll get a lot, but but if they get all the Cleveland fans coming down, what are they going to do with them? I, I've still got an Adam Wainwright one here somewhere from when I went and saw the Reds Cardinals this year. I I tried to put it on eBay, nobody bought it. Ah, oh, what the heck? I might have to throw it out in the street or something. <laughs> you know, you can do that. I won't stop you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just want to make sure we gave uh, some love to. Uh, our good friends over at Sports Illustrated, and we definitely will be missing it. Uh, Pat Magooch in the house to say hi. Hey, what's up, Pat? What's going on, uh, ma'am? Um, so let's talk a little bit about, uh, obviously not a big news week, uh, but Seth, you guys kind of touched this a little bit with Chad and Nate earlier in the week, but um, we got to call Bubba Sparks because this Jonathan Indian and the Red Sing sounds like it's going to get ugly. Um. And it's not looking very good. Uh, Ronnie, I do see your comment. We will definitely touch on that because it's going to be interesting. I, I really like that question. Um, so it looks like India and the Reds obviously going to arbitration. And I have to imagine that like we're not going to do the should they should they not trade him thing. We did that already. 
10 mm-hmm. times this offseason. Um, but I have to imagine if you're Jonathan India that some irritation might be kicking in the sense of um, I was rumored to be traded all offseason. Mm-hmm. You guys told me at Reds Fest you guys are going to keep me. Um, you've discussed potentially playing me in first base. You've discussed maybe, you know, the outfield's been a rumor. Um, I'm going to DH. I saw MLB Network put up their projected lineup and they said they had India DH over Strand. Yeah. No, That's I not happening. Yeah. No. Nope. Um, but I don't really, you know, I've never been in an arbitration hearing, obviously. Um, you always hear that they're not fun for both sides, but I don't know how this thing shakes out. It looks like obviously he's going to be on the big league roster come the end of March. Um, when we do the Nixon Zell Memorial game, I mean, opening day, um, <laughs> but I am really genuinely curious. What does this Jonathan do you think look like? Even if the arbitration ends up okay, but it's like they come to a settlement. Like, is he going to be like really happy to be showing up in good year and like, Hey guys, what's up? Everything's cool. Nothing's wrong. Nothing's wrong. <laughs> yeah. Uh- Go ahead, sir. I was a little moved by by um, Chad Dotson's thoughts the other day because he said, "Hey, eight hundred thousand is not that much. The Reds could have come closer and made a deal." But but my feeling was, having grown up through the years and seen how many times years ago the Reds used to go to arbitration all the time, and every one of those guys, even Sean Casey, you know, went and it, all those guys talk about how awful it was when you're in the room. Um, and you're just getting thrown under the bus by your team you, you thought loved you. Um, but to a man, and some of them maybe took it personally, I don't know, but but they, it, they end up realizing it is a business and they just go out and play. Now, the other stuff, if if it was any number of these other guys, if if um, Tyler Stevenson would have gone to arbitration instead of him, we I don't think we'd be saying anything, right? It just You're great. Right. Yeah, you're right. Come together and he didn't have the best season, so maybe they'll work it out or maybe they won't. But because it's Jonathan Indian, because, A, there's reason for us to love him, and I know many of the mm-hmm. people that watch this show or listen to this show do, but, B, there's so much talent in the same position he plays, any of the positions he can play, including DH. Yeah. So I, we just I, I think the Reds are just being pragmatic about it, and they're saying we're not going to come to his number, even though it's only, quote-unquote, only 800 grand when we have all these other players that can play there and yep. it's going to get decided the the panel's going to decide it and the reds are just as an agreement as the players association that once it gets decided that's what we'll pay them yep and yeah that i you hit the nail on the head i don't think the reds are worried about anything because they've got so much talent in all the positions that he plays yeah. so like whatever arbitration decides is what it's going to be and and we're going to go from there $800,000 or no $800,000 like uh, to me, India doesn't have a really a leg to stand on because, I mean, I, I mean, I know that the Reds are talking about trading and doing all these different things, but this, that, and the third. But that's a really talented roster, and I and and Seth, you said it perfectly. There are lots of reasons why to love Jonathan India, but there's also reasons why we don't need him. Like, like there's there's both. I mean, you, you can see it on both sides. Like, so if it goes arbitration, the Reds on. I don't think the Reds are really worried about it because it is what it is. Um, you know, I, I just don't think it's it's something where it's going to be too crazy. Now, the only way it'll get crazy if it's on India's side. I mean, that's that's the only way. I mean, the Reds are it is what it is. I mean, they, but they can still get, trade them then anyway. I mean, correct, it, and they can get rid of him. They, him. I, yep, they can know? get rid of him if if he's not happy. They can get rid of him if he if he becomes you know if he becomes a problem. They can get rid of him. They can trade him. They can you know do whatever. I mean, it, it, the really he has no he really has no leverage i mean but this team is so together last year and now that joey's joey Votto is likely gone which is i don't want to think about but india is the leader he's the older elder statesman (laughs) as young as he is and and so i mean a his teammates may pick him up if he loses the thing and he ends up 800k lighter they could pick him up and it could be a rallying cry Mm -hmm. um or or who knows? But if if he would have had if he would have followed up his rookie of the year year with as good or better or, or even getting better along yeah. the way these last two mm-hmm. years, we wouldn't even be talking about this. He'd okay. probably have a long term extension. Yep. But he's been hurt and he's been some things. And you know, 
Jose Barrero will be the first to tell you you could get passed pretty quickly by a bunch of young guys coming up behind you. Yep. Life comes at you quick. You know what I'm saying? Like, it ain't no joke. I can't play the song anymore because we're monetized now. Uh, yeah, I know. Oh, I know. man. <laughs> you know what? Just pretend it. Just, just let's just, just do it in your mind. Let's see what happens, right? Oh, gosh. Five seconds of it. I think we'll be fine for five seconds. Maybe we keep it under. We're good. If we're not, maybe we're maybe we maybe we just get rid of it. But <laughs> Seth said Barrero, so we had to do it. We know the magic button. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, I think you guys make excellent points. I don't really have a whole lot to add to it, but I will say this in the sense of everyone talks about this. Like it could be crappy. He could be really, he could be really irritating. The Reds can trade him if he is, you know, a jerk. He could trade him if he's not happy. The Reds could trade him also if he like comes out and has a fire, lights a fire under his ass and plays really well for mm-hmm. three months, and then come July thirty first, it's July August first, whatever the hell it is now. Uh, maybe someone looks at him and is like, oh, you see, India, he's been playing pretty well. Like maybe we get take a chance on him, and that's a possibility too. Well, do you think that's part of the Reds, like, uh, not really strategy, but like that doesn't, that's not going to affect them if somebody, I think there, if that happens, then that makes his trade stock higher, which is kind of most, that's a really good thing. Yeah, you're taking a chance a if you, right, if, right, right. Yeah, and I could be way off here for sure. Um, it wouldn't be the first time, won't be the last, but you know, that's certainly in the realm of possibility. Uh, there's also a world where he comes out and he hits 220. Um, his on-base percentage is like under 315 and it's not very fun um, because he doesn't get as, as enough at-bats. Um, so especially, did you guys see Matt McClain was voted the number six second baseman already in baseball from MLB Network? Yeah, and I no, think uh, um, I they played like 20 games at second base. I think I think Brian Kinney had Encarnacion Strand listed on the top first baseman on his, not the overall MLB Network one but I was like, whoa, okay. And he, I mean, especially with the Reds, I feel like with the Reds have a bunch of Ben Zobris now where they all just get yeah. around. And it's hard to say, hey, you're a first baseman or you're a second baseman. So before the season, they basically just have to, they put them where they think they'll play, I guess. So it's funny you say that. So that's where Ronnie brought up this question. He said, hey guys, can you give your thoughts on playing everyday players versus platooning players position slash positions? I think some players are being held back by not getting a chance to prove they can hit. And then he goes on to say, uh, Benson and Friedel, I believe, could eventually be everyday players regardless of pitchers. In today's baseball, some guys will never be able to show their truth worth, for example. I love this question. I think it's a great question. I'm ha- I re- definitely want to get your guys' thoughts on there. Um, we kind of talked about this early in the offseason, Ben, with Benson. He got, I think, 30 at-bats all year against lefties. Yeah. So I think he earned the right to see if he can do it. I'm not yeah. going to go and say I'm confident that he can, but I think he earned the right to see if he could. Now, yeah. does that mean they give it a shot in spring training? He's playing, you know, he's starting, he's playing every day in spring training to see if it's something where like he can carry it over the big league season, the major league season. Mm-hmm. I'm up, I'm open to that. Yeah. I'm open to him getting a chance to see if it's something he has in his skill set. I think we're at the point with Jake Fraley. We've realized that it's just never going to be a thing where you can have him pitch, go against the lefty pitcher. And I think that's okay. Um, Ronnie mentioned Friedel. I think Friedel relatively, his splits were pretty decent. I guess yeah, like he, got a, he got a chance to really shine in that role. And I thought he did a good job. Yeah, I did too. I know he hit a little lower in the order at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I definitely think that both guys definitely earned the shot because really, I mean, Right-handed outfielder isn't necessarily a huge strength of the team right now that you're oh, looking Spencer at. Spencer Steer. That's the one. And I love Spencer Steer <laughs> as a hitter. We don't know yet how good he is as a left fielder. I hope he's awesome. I trust he will be really good because he has a whole offseason to work on it, um, knowing what he's going to be doing. But in a situation like that where they do have a right-handed pitcher on the mound, you know, and you're going you're to use those guys, I'm genuinely curious to see if Will Benson can do can be successful in that role as an everyday outfielder. Well, I remember years getting caught up in, and I'm, the big one was the, the Reds had just had Hamilton, Josh Hamilton, that in 2007, yeah. and they mm-hmm. had, or yeah, and they, but they had all these players, and they're like, wait a minute, we've got Griffey, Dunn, Hamilton, and Jay Bruce is coming. 
what are we going to do? And then all of a sudden, within a year, Jay Bruce was the only one left. But but I guess I, I started to say that because I remember years where it's like, well, he's this everyday player. He's that everyday player. But even that the interview I just did with Eddie Tobinsey, I was rekindled a lot of my memories of the 99 season. And I'm telling you, uh, Michael Tucker and, Love Michael Tucker. and Dimitri Young and um, I'm blanking on the other outfielder. They, they somehow got at-bats for all these guys. Cameron and Vaughn were the center and left fielder. But somehow between right field and Dimitri Young spelling Casey at first base and playing right field also, like they all had all these at bats and it all it all added up to a really good, you know, output at that position. You're talking about the legend of Chris Steins? No, I'm not. He was he was <laughs> Uber utility player that year. But uh <laughs> yes, actually I have an autograph. I was when I was going through my things, I have a Chris Steins autograph downstairs. That was pretty cool. Remember uh, Tracy Jones would call him that Steins guy. <laughs> he would like pop up all the time on the radio with Mo. Yeah. Like, you know, like in the early 2010s, you would always be on stuff with them. I was like, that's random guy. You just found out. I was like, Hey man, want to come and talk shop? Like, yeah, I remember 98. He was like, that Steins guy's got to get more playing time. And then uh, Tracy Jones, the next year he, he was saying that uh, Greg Vaughn's batting average didn't matter. Everybody was all upset. He was batting 240, and he's like, it's ribeye steaks. That's what matters. <laughs> but of course, the home runs mattered too. I don't know. I just think that as far as I, I see your point, and a guy like Will Benson will want to have every day at bats. I'm yeah. sure. Um, but for the health of the team and knowing who our manager is, who who the Reds' manager is, right? I, I would expect platoon to be a pretty regular uh, occurrence among a lot of different positions. Yeah, I agree. What do you think, Ben? Anything you want to add? Yeah, I think I, I, yeah, I was gonna say, I, I think that yeah, no, I think you guys are, are spot on. I think it's gonna be more the or the same. I, the, does Benson earn the right? Yeah, but uh, I mean, like I think Seth brought up a good point. Well, you know who our manager is, and you know how yeah. with the road they're gonna take, and and yeah, they'll they'll platoon it, and and I think it and truth be told, it all shakes out in the wash. You know what I mean? I I think yeah. that the the more bats they all get, the better. At some point, it'll come up, and it will be it'll be a lot of fun. Hey, Tim, um, one thing I'd ask you, these things, you know, we can quantify everything now because everybody keeps track of every stat and everything. Yeah. It felt last year like the Reds faced more left-handed starters than Didn't North. it? So that's what's weird. Normally I would say Will Benson's going to play so much more just because we bat, the, you, you play against right-handed starters more. And then as mm-hmm. the game goes along, maybe somebody pinch hits for him or whatever. But I felt like every series it's like one or two left-handed starters. It just felt really weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. It definitely felt that way. Um, I definitely, yeah, I think that's really, really fair point. Um, you guys, you, you know, your conversation with Tob and see every day is a field trip with this comment here. Um, I don't know. Can we just talk about the 99 team? Can we have some fun for a second? Like, oh my gosh, man, what a like, what a fun summer that was. Uh, man, like Mike Cameron loved Mike Cameron, was one of my favorite players in Reds history, and he was only here for a year. I went to so many games that summer. I was nine going on 10. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause I turned 10. Uh, my birthday's in July. And so my dad and I, we lived in Bellevue. So we would always just walk the bridge and go to games. And I just always remember that team always being like, they'd be down like eight to four in the ninth. And they would find a way to crawl back in the game all the time. It was just the best. So like you doing like, like having that conversation, it just gets me like, and anytime someone brings up that team, and I just get so nostalgic, and I feel so excited. And mm-hmm. also, that was the year they debuted those uniforms that did not last very long. Um, well, they actually that, that, they put the black T-shirt and hat because they were winning on the road so much. The, the original deal was that the red T-shirt and the red hat with the black bill was going to be the home uniform, and then the black T-shirt underneath the vest and the black hat would be the road. Well, they were winning so much on the road that they started wearing the black at home. And they rarely, if ever, wore the red at home anymore. And it was, people don't like the black, I get it. But I, I at the time, I've, I mean, I've got the Pokey Reese Vest jersey. Uh, yep. upstairs. Um, I, uh, that team. So I was 11 in 1990. I will never forget it. I loved every minute of it. For some reason, a friend of mine at school was a Mark McGuire guy and loved the A's in Southeast Ohio. And I called him the first time I ever trash talked a kid. It was when I was 11 years old. Eric Davis hit the home run. 
and the phone could not have been off the hook faster. <laughs> I'm yelling at my buddy. We're 11. I'm yelling at him. Did you see it? Did you see that? And, uh, of course, they went and went. Loved it. Loved every minute. Loved the 95 season. I got to go to more games in 95, being in high school and that sort of thing. But the 1999 season, again, my hometown was three hours away. Columbus, mm-hmm. around two hours. We went down I-71 so many times that spring and summer. And it was just so much fun. And you're right. that I remember getting into the ballpark one night, and I, I think I, I shared this with Thomas. I'm telling you, I think it was J.D. Drew hit a line shot and it was the only hit of the game, and they they got him out at second trying to stretch a single into a double. And Ron Valone, of all people, one hits them the rest of the way to like the eighth inning. Oh, and is that Danny, that game? Danny Graves or um, Williamson locks it down. And I, know, I mean, the night that uh, Gra- Randy Johnson pitches and Demetri Young hits a home run, it's one to nothing. That yeah. Win one to nothing against Randy Johnson. I mean, mm-hmm. there's so many of those types of games where a guy came out of nowhere and did something and just was amazing. You remember they went to Colorado and they won like 26 to 4? 25 to 12. Yeah. yeah actually, Jeffrey Hammonds had like three home runs, I think. Yeah, that's the night. That's the one Eddie Dobbins, he said. He goes, yeah, I didn't get to play that game. <laughs> but then he said <laughs> it was a day game after a night game. And he said sometimes you're given a day off as a catcher, as, as the regular catcher. Yeah. Sometimes you're given a day off and then something happens and you know you're going to get put in. He goes, but when we got that big lead, he's like, I knew Skip wasn't going to put me in, and it actually was better because I could rest. But uh, that game was insane, 25 to 12. Yeah, that was like pretty early in the year too. Yeah, that was, was May. A, um, What else was like? There was somebody that – I remember when Cleveland came to town, those were fun games. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I went to a couple of those. I remember actually, yeah, Darius Rucker sang the national anthem in one of those games. I was there. I've got I've got a story about one of those games. Um, they won. I, I think it was on a walk off of some sort. But back then, I don't even know if I had. I might have had a cell phone, but maybe not. But I remember I, I called up to my um, my apartment at Ohio State, and I'm at the Reds game, and the guy get my my roommate or my next door neighbor who was always there, like our Kramer. Uh, he would always just walk in. <laughs> he, he said. He said. Hey, uh, you got some messages here. And so he played them. And one of them was from Rob Butcher calling me. And it was because I had met Marty Brenneman at the um, Elite Sweet 16 Elite Eight because Marty would do the radio call. Mm-hmm. So I met Marty there down in Knoxville and Ohio State was there. And he told me to look him up sometime. So I, look, I, I let him, I gave him like my information or whatever. And then Rob Butcher calls me. And he's like, yeah, we already gave away our, all our internships. I don't know why, but Mar- why I'm calling you, but Marty told me to. <laughs> so so <laughs> Rob Bircher was calling me to basically tell me I couldn't have a job. But <laughs> here I am at the game, and I'm on the phone. I'm like, what? Rob Butcher called me? What? Uh, so I'll never forget that night. It was crazy. But I was at that game with my grandfather, and, and Grandpa always liked to get back on the road, but we would never leave early. But, man – they hit that home plate, and I think we were out the exit as fast as you can imagine. <laughs> I was at okay. I'm looking up games now just because I'm like getting all nostalgic. Oh yeah, I remember July fifteenth, nineteen ninety nine. I was there when they played the Rockies. They won ten to seven. I was at that game. Uh, Steve Paris was like incredible in that game. Mm-hmm. Um, that game was awesome. So and then it was what else happened that game? Uh, Greg Vaughn two for four with three RBIs in that game. Greg Vaughn was. The most, I think he's one of the most beloved one-year Reds of all time. Well, he and Mike Cameron both, yeah. 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 Those two and Chew. It's like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and Greg Vaughn did um, Jim Day's podcast a couple years ago. He did. He did. That was awesome. And he was like, you know, in 2000, I thought I was coming back. He goes, but, you know, they got the best player in the world. I understood. Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I have a ball over here somewhere. Uh I was down the the right the third base line and uh, Vaughn caught the third out and he threw the ball into the stands and I caught it and I'm down there I think it was like against the Dodgers and my memory is that Chan Ho Park pitched for the the Dodgers that night and there were a lot of uh, Korean media but also fans on that side taking pictures of him and his when he was warming up and of course the dug the uh, the um, the bullpen was right down the line there back then at, at Riverfront. And yeah. uh, so I remember we sat right there. I caught that ball. And my buddy, 
was trying to flirt with all these girls and either in front of us or beside us. And uh, one of them I started talking to and he leans in at late in the game and he says, so you can give him your number. And she looked at me and she looked down at the ball and she said, if you give me that ball, I'll give you my number. And I still have the ball. So. (laughs) (laughs) It's the first ball I ever caught. I'm not giving I get it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it could have been a Robin Williams moment from Goodwill Hunting. I got to say, yep. I, I mean, I'm married to someone else now, so it all worked out for me. But that's uh, an immaculate reference, by the way. That's I awesome. I, I, if you give me that ball, I'll give you my number. I said, no, I've never gotten a ball before. Nope, not happening. <laughs> Sorry. I remember one of my other things from that. And this is remember, you know, like I said, I was pretty young. Um, so this is of course right after. The chase, the summer of '98, the chase, mm-hmm. the chase of '61, and uh, the Cardinals would come to town. And it was the first time I'd ever seen that many flash bulbs on oh, cameras yeah. because obviously this is way before cell phones where everyone can just pull their phone out. Yeah. And when every time Mark McGuire would step in the box, I remember I was sitting in the red seat in the green seats on the other side of the stadium, like on, on, the, on the left side because he batted right-handed. I think I no, I might have that wrong. Anyway, my point being. And it was all you just saw was like flashing lights. Mm-hmm. And I just remember thinking like that was so crazy. Uh, Barry Bonds is the same way. Um, if I ever get Jamie Ramsey back on the show, I'm going to have him tell his Barry Bonds story because it's one of my all-time favorite stories. It cracks me up every time. Um, I just feel like if I tell it, I'm not going to do as much justice as he could. And so that's one for sure. Um, I Yeah, I could... We Seth, our next show, we're gonna start a podcast just about the '99 Reds. Let's just. Well, I hope to have as many guests as possible. This is the 25th anniversary of that season. I'm hoping yeah. that as many guests as possible. I've got one. I think I I can't announce it yet because he hasn't. Uh, I, I've got a return to someone I know that they told him he wants to do it. So hopefully we'll have that soon. But um, the thing about McGuire is funny. Eddie Thomas's memory was really good. That's one thing a friend of mine told me about the interview. I'm, I'm sitting here scrolling through baseball reference. I've got my own notes, you know, yeah. the show notes I put together. So I was ready. And, but some of that's off the top of my head, but, but Eddie remembered, remember like he would talk about, yeah, he threw me a slider or whatever, but his memory, it was only one inning off that, that, that Cardinal series in late September. Um, he did hit a home run, Mark McGuire and people forget this. He hit 70 plus home runs, right? And, and 70 home runs in, in 98, but he had over 60 in 99. Yeah. And he had yeah. 60 and 61 on that series with the Reds there in late September, and the Reds were trying to get in the playoffs. And Eddie's right. He hit a home run early, McGuire did, and, and Eddie hit an upper tank job to win the game. Eddie said he thought it was in the seventh inning. I think it was the eighth inning, or maybe I'm reversing that when I looked it up on Baseball Reference later. But to, and you, you, I don't know. Golfers can do this too. You can remember exactly what club you hit, you know, all that stuff. But for Eddie to remember, yeah, that guy, you know, and he remember who started the game in the Phillies game when they hit nine home runs. Um, he knew exactly who it was, and it was uh, Bird, Paul Bird. And but he he wasn't looking at anything. He I could tell he just that was off the top of his head. Yeah, Paul Bird started that game. I hit I hit I hit two out. And I'm like, okay, all right, <laughs> yeah, we'll take it. It's that catcher's mind, you know. Um, I guess. Yeah, I remember Brian Johnson being part of that team and then him later in life not being a very likable human being uh, from interviews he's done. So that was disappointing because at the night, you know, all those guys were cool to me when I was a kid. I was like, they all play for my team. I like them all. So um, that was a bummer. But yeah, I can find pockets of nostalgia anytime we want to talk about those teams. I'm happy to do so. Um, Let's get to this before we get off the hinges here. So kind of real quick because i think that one of the things that's kind of going around right now is we're all very excited for 2024 and we should be um with all these young guys everything happening this is going to be a lot of fun this summer and we're going to see these guys who came on last year continue to grow and build this thing and build this group and i really am excited about that but i'm trying to figure out how to have expectations that are (laughs) realistic and not like you know, everyone's going to win the MVP and they're going to go 152 and eight. And, I mean, 152 and 10 and like <laughs> just kind of be like, all right, like it's going to be fun. They're going to be good without like World Series or bust because it's certainly not the case. But L.A. La Cruz is like really fascinating to me, not just for the fact that he's, you know, unbelievably talented, mm-hmm. 
but I feel like it's like really difficult to kind of put like quote unquote realistic expectations for a successful season on him. And what I mean by that is, do I think he's significantly better than he was when he hit that hit that wall last year? After, after yes, I really do. Um, do I think he is as good as he was when he was hitting for cycles and having multi home run games? Probably not, but pretty close if he hits the ceiling. Um, I think if he hits the ceiling, he's switch hitting Julio Rodriguez, and that's pretty fascinating to say. So I looked at fan graphs, and for those who are watching on YouTube, um, thank you for, for doing so. There are projections for him next year. So this is what he did last year. Uh, 98 games, 427 at-bats, 13 homers, 235 batting average, 300 on base, 410 slugging, 84 weighted runs created plus 1.7 war. Again, really, really rough couple months when Mm -hmm. there was film on him and he didn't have a whole lot of time to adjust. 2024 projections are 130 games. I certainly think he'll play more than that. 560 at-bats, 21 homers, a 246 batting average, a 311 on base percentage, a 442 slugging. So that's right over a 750 OPS, which is league average, uh, 96 weighted runs created plus, and 1.9 war. So, guys, I ask you, is that enough? Are people going to be happy with that, seeing the progression? Or is it going to be like, we thought he was going to be the greatest thing to ever walk the universe and we're pissed off? Hmm. Mm. Uh, it, it depends. Here, here's the thing. Anytime you're dealing with anytime you're dealing with projections and what you think somebody's going to do, there's going to be excitement and disappointment on both ends. So I think Ellie will play better than he did last year. But I think it's I think it's hard for us to it's hard for us to um, harness those expectations because we we see the talent like we we see the talent we see what he's able to do we see the speed we see his ability we see him hit balls to the moon we see him you know we've seen him do all these things so it's hard for us to kind of harness our our excitement for what he's going to be the realistic part of my brain says that he's going to be better but there's still going to be struggles what is he 23 22 I mean, 22? Yeah. I mean he's 22 years old and he's playing against the some of the best athletes in the world, best players in the world. So there's going to be struggles. But I can't say with his skill set and the thing that he's able to do um, that he's not going to get better. Um, and I, and, I, and that's the fun part about it. Um, like Miguel Cabrera wasn't automatically Miguel Cabrera when he entered to when he came into the league as a 19 year old kid. Miguel Cabrera hit his stride 10 years, eight, you know, six, seven, eight years into the league when he started becoming MVP and being able to hit the ball and see. So it's a it's a progress thing. So do I think that he's going to be the ball? <laughs> <laughs> yes, Ronnie. Sir, abs- absolutely. <laughs> Ronnie, absolutely correct. But um, but I we have to be able to be realistic about our about his progress. But I do think his progress will be significant because I think that he is is too skilled of a player for it not to be. Long story short. Well, I, I think part of it is last year from the time he started, and he had I think he had an injury very early, right, in triple A. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But from the time he finally got on the field to the end of the season as a big leaguer, that probably was more baseball than he's ever played yeah. in a long stretch like that, especially mm-hmm. – from what um, June through the end of the season with the big league mm-hmm. club, seeing things he'd never seen before. Um, so when I see the projections you just had up, Tim, I think I part of me wants to say immediately he's going to be better than that. Okay? Me too. Mm-hmm. I just I I just can't imagine. Now he might only hit two forty six, but I think he'll get on base more, um, and I think he'll hit for a little more power. I don't know if that means more than twenty one home runs, but I think his 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 slugging will be better. Mm-hmm. Um, but just remember also, even though the month of September and even maybe most of August was really rough, every three or four games, he still did something to impact the team that nobody else in the planet can do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that's where, if you just turn a blind eye to the numbers of a 22 year old playing in the big leagues after 
having a, what, a six inch growth spurt three years ago. <laughs> I mean, right. yeah. It's so ridiculous. He, you know, people talk about like Ohio state center, Akpara and how he just got to the main, to the United States three years ago. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, the, the two don't compare. Ellie's such a better athlete, but, but like he never ho- held a basketball in his hand until really a few years ago. And now mm-hmm. he's playing D one college basketball. We see this happen in basketball quite a bit where somebody comes over and, and Hey, you're tall, go play. Right. But Ellie is doing things often that we, we just don't see mm-hmm. the steal of home. Um, like I referenced with Chad and Nate the other night, I was at that game in St. Louis when he scored from third on a grounder to the second baseman or shortstop on, on a drawn in infield. I mean, it just doesn't happen. I remember one time Dion, when he played for the Reds, tagged up at third. He looked at Ozzie Guillen, who caught a pop up at shortstop, and Ozzie go- nodded at him like, Yeah, try it. And Dion tried it, and Guillen threw him out. I remember mm-hmm. watching that play, and it's like, Dion's fast, he- but Ellie. <laughs> It's so we we need to just enjoy it, but also he's going to help the Reds win, even if his numbers as a 22 year old don't stack up to the Herculean heights that we thought he would be. Mm-hmm. So to put in context right now, looking at FanDuel for their futures, here's one thing I can count on for sure with Ellie De La Cruz: over under stolen bases, 39 and a half. Hmm. He's 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 getting 50 bags this year. He's getting 50 bags. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. 50 I mean, the, bags is a no-doubter. Yeah. The game changed this past year, right, with the rules. I mean, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. Imagine Billy Hamilton in this game. Like, Right. I, you'll laugh at this, So We had Drew Stubbs on a couple times over the summer. Yeah, yeah. One of my favorite dudes. would mm-hmm. I would interview Drew Stubbs every week if he would if he would be willing to. Uh, just a great, great, great dude to talk to. He'd probably get a restraining order for you. But. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> but we asked him. We're like, okay, so you came in town for Scott for uh, Bronson's Red Hall of Fame induction. You saw Ellie Taylor Cruz play. Do you think you could beat him in a run in a, like a, in a foot race? And I loved it. He goes, "No proof I couldn't." <laughs> right. <laughs> wow. And that's I was thinking about that today, and I referenced golf earlier, but I am not a great golfer. I'm a, an okay golfer, but by standards of the people who actually pick up a golf club and try to play golf, I'm decent. So. But but you have to have confidence in yourself, right? Drew mm-hmm. Subs made the big leagues. He was a good big leaguer. Yeah, like that guy, a guy like that. Even though we as fans or the media might look at him and say, "Well, he did this or he didn't do that or he wasn't you know this for that long or whatever, whatever you want to say." And I'm not. I don't mean Drew Stubbs specifically. I just mean your yeah. run of the mill big leaguer. Like for them to get where they got took so much self confidence and so much hard work, and so much everything, and and if they, I mean, you couldn't get in the batter's box against box against that kind of heat without some self-confidence, right? Like, yeah, no kidding. So, so, like, so tell tell anybody who was known to be fast that they can't beat Ellie De La Cruz when, if, if, when Drew Stubbs was in his prime, could you have done that? Like, there's no way, even if, even if in his heart he knows, yeah, he's way faster than me. Right, <laughs> like, right. But but you, I mean, you referenced Sean Alexander earlier. I'm sure he would say the same thing about himself. But even some some NFL players he played with to get there, they had to have so much self confidence and so, yep. like believe in themselves so much, almost like in a wrong way. Because it's like, no, like don't try to hit it over that water, Seth. <laughs> you know. Like, <laughs> but but if you don't have conviction, you should never even try, right? Man, you're not. Yeah, absolutely true. One of my all-time favorite quotes about professional athletes, Richard Jefferson said it, and it just always stuck with me when I think about, like, I'm watching an NBA game, and I'm like, that guy's not very good. Like, <laughs> and he said, like, are you aware how good you are at basketball if you suck in the NBA? Yeah. Right. Oh, and yeah. Yep. It always stuck with me. It just always was something that I was like, yeah, he's right. Because, yeah, you know, um, Cameron Payne might not look too good in this uh, – Milwaukee Bucks Phoenix Suns game, but if Cameron Payne goes and plays at the YMCA, um, it's a whole different story. Right. Mm-hmm. Wait, I don't know if I listened to Ryan Rosillo's show and he he does life advice at the end of every episode. Yeah. And the guy will write in and say, Oh, poor man's uh Andrew Bogut, or you know, whatever. And it's like all, all the guys who can't really play say they're a poor man's like really good player. 
And yeah. meanwhile, recently, a, an actual D3 college basketball player, a kid who played college basketball 15, 20 years ago, wrote in, and his his comp was way lower. <laughs> like, like it's like the guy who actually probably is better than most of these guys writing in said, my comp is this guy. <laughs> right. Yeah. So this is a great point from Ronnie. Um, Ronnie, thanks for hanging out tonight, man. You've been yeah, really, man. Really yeah, you've been awesome, Ronnie. Thank we you. We definitely appreciated it. Um, he said, "I've seen a lot of talent come through Cincinnati. You just sometimes can't watch the player and see that they have it. These young guys all have the it factor, mm-hmm. and that's true. And that's yeah. also frightening because it means that like something like if all these guys don't like hit the thing that we think they're going to be, it's not a bad thing. It's not a problem because mm-hmm. there's four other dudes." Um, so hey, you were talking earlier about you know India and all the things, but then we also talk about these young guys. Um, what is the new GM technically under crawl? Is it Brad Meter? Is it yeah, he was on XM radio today or yesterday, and I mean, he made sure and mentioned the how much they like Jonathan. Yeah, you know, like I think he had the like the right notes in front of him or whatever, but the things he said he said was like, look, uh, um. And he didn't say someone might get hurt, but he did. He listed Matt McLean coming off the oblique. He listed um, one of the other guys having some sort of strain or injury or something like that. And he's like, so, yeah, we probably have too many infielders. But he said, you know, all this stuff is going to work out. And so it will, whether whether it be an injury or whether it be somebody struggling or even whether it be a, a trade, it's going to work out. I'm not that worried about that end of it. Yeah, I agree. Well, guys, I think we can go ahead and call – this episode of late night reds um thank you all so much for hanging out as always we definitely appreciate it thank you guys for such an awesome week for us it means a lot uh let's go through what's going around the riverfront before we get out of here shall we um obviously like we said seth now part of the team here with us we're so excited he came on board um not only will seth be doing his uh red lakes remembered show uh, we have a really fun interview coming up he talks about it i guess it's not really a spoiler it's boy scott hatterberg is going to be hanging yeah, out with seth pretty soon true. so scott hatterberg is going to come on we can't wait to ask uh, for you to ask him about moneyball and how uh he got chris pratt to play him in a movie um i got moneyball and i got uh, adam from milwaukee i need to ask him about yeah there's that because the banana phone was talked about on on the riverfront show the other day that's right yeah that was it was really fun uh so that's gonna be really really cool be sure to check that out um riverfront bangle show was super fun this past week. If you didn't catch it, we uh, did the 2023 season in context of back to the future quotes <laughs> to describe how our feelings for the year. And it was myself on there with uh, Joe and Greg. We did a really, really good job with that. I had a little fun. And I know I said we did a good job because I was there, but we did do a good job. I'm just going to go and put it out there. <laughs> um, we're front you check out the website each and every week. I uh, had an awesome, awesome experience this past week covering Xavier in Georgetown. Even though there's probably a difference in talent, it was a very awesome game uh, that yeah. I had a really good recap on. Um, also, tomorrow, the day this show goes up for those who don't watch live, uh, over on the Riverfront You feed, the Riverfront Xavier Show debuts. My first guest, Hanky McSpanky himself, Zach Hankins, comes on, uh, chats with me for a little bit. And I'm going to dive a little bit into uh, just the atmosphere of Cintas uh, there as well. And then Seth is also working potentially to be doing a little uh buckeye coverage for us here at the riverfront oh, so there it is yeah i don't we'll know see. maybe maybe we'll get a ben seth ohio state show oh i haven't mentioned this to either of them but you know dangerous speaking into existence <laughs> we could be one of the 35 new podcasts no, i was going to say <laughs> <laughs> there's no there's no hurting for ohio state football coverage that's for no sure. there's not now it's like uh it's like all you know everyone's like i got a yankees podcast like oh good for you yeah i mean we we met the other day and and i don't know if any of the guys in the meeting were tired of it but i was like honestly the ohio state media cut the beat like i mean 70 guys show up on a random tuesday just to talk to ryan day i mean it's yeah it's it's a large contingent yes it is yeah it absolutely is um but yeah if you are looking to join us on youtube and are if you're here today and haven't subscribed yet please do um, if you are listening to us on your podcast app of choice, please be sure to give us a nice solid five-star review. Check out all the shows on the Riverfront. We give you a ton of content each and every week. Go to riverfrontcincy.com to not only check out our college sports coverage, but maybe, I don't know, buy some merchandise. we got some on that on there as well. So on behalf of Ben, on behalf of Seth, 
This is Tim Daniel. Have a good week, everyone, and we'll be back next week.